Okay, guys, welcome to Pushing Our Podcast, uh, episode 120, 120. This is Adam Piggott coming to you from the Netherlands, Leiden, uh, where I'm presently encamped. And um, I'm going back to a weekend podcast now. I'm going to get it out every Sunday. It's been a bit up and down, hit or miss, because everything's been a bit chaotic, but uh, I'm going to be settling on this as the regular routine, which I'll probably forget by this time next week, because at the moment I have the memory span of a gnat. Um, it's been a, a really full-on week, or 10 days, I should say. I haven't been able to get as much done from pure exhaustion. Um, as, I, as I wrote about earlier this week, I went down to the Spa, Spa Grand Prix with a very good friend, the guy who was the basis for Milo in my first book, Pushing Rubber Downhill. And we had this plan since February, February we got the tickets and we were at uh, Gold 3, the um, Eau Rouge um, corner at Spa, which is the uh, the major corner going up the hill, fantastic seats. Uh, and we were there the full Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So my mate Milo flew in on Thursday night to Amsterdam and I picked him up from the airport. He stayed uh, stayed with me on Thursday night, then we drove down to the race on Friday. Getting there about 11 o'clock, so we had a bit of a late slow start. But it took about three hours, three and a half hours to get down. Uh, saw Friday practice, cruised around a lot. Um, and uh, we spent um, the evenings down there. We got a hotel in Maastricht. Maastricht's only about a 40 minute, not even that, half an hour drive from the Spa racetrack. Uh, and I'm quite familiar with Maastricht since I'd spent some time in there because the ex-wife and I were originally intending to buy a house down that way. We looked at quite a few houses in the area. So I, I know Maastricht pretty well and I'm a big fan of Maastricht. So we got a, uh, a hotel in the centre of the city there and I booked a couple of restaurants for Saturday and Sunday night. So we were there Friday, Saturday, Sunday. We knew the Grand Prix would be late and we thought, we thought no way we're going to drive back on um, a uh, Sunday evening, which was, a, as it turned out, was an excellent plan. <coughs> we were completely right to do that. First time to the Spa Grand Prix for either of us. Um, I've been to a few Grand Prix, been to Monza uh, with Milo as well on that one, uh, and I've been to Melbourne three three times, I think. Uh, and Milo, uh, my mate, lives in. Monaco, so he's been to the Monaco Grand Prix quite a few times as well. Uh, so we're not Grand Prix virgins, and I used to be a very big Mark Webber fan back in the day. I was on the Mark Webber forum a lot, uh, followed Webber a lot, because uh, he was Australian, but also because he kept it real. He wasn't a prima donna, and uh, I mean, drivers like Vettel and Hamilton, I can't, I can't, I, I can't get behind them at all. Obviously, um, We've got Danny Ricardo, who's from Perth and is down to earth, just like Mark Webber was. And also a huge Kimi Raikkonen fan from way back in the day because, you know, Raikkonen's Raikkonen, just doesn't give a fuck. He's like the Fonz of Formula One. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, Friday night in, um, in Maastricht, uh, and I'll talk about that more, Maastricht more, uh, in coming into the podcast uh, or further on. And then uh, Saturday qualifying... And then we were witnesses to the beginning of the awful crash in Formula 2, which uh, killed one driver and seriously injured another one who's now still in an induced coma in the London hospital. Uh, and that happened just after where we were sitting. But we saw um, the car that was getting all bent out of shape going up a rouge around the corner in front of us. We noticed that... Uh, and it was the other cars trying to evade that car that was getting out of shape that caused the crash. So the car that got out of shape didn't, uh, he just kept going. He, he, he recovered and got fine, but he caused all the carnage behind him obliquely. Um, and and when it flashed up on the screen, like when you normally a crash flash, flashes up on the screen, everyone goes, wow, oh yeah. And this crash flashed up on the screen and the reaction, and there must have been a, a thousand people or so sitting in the stand we were in, the reaction was 100% of holy fuck, like like horror. 
the reaction was horror from everyone. It was not a good looking crash at all. And as as events turned out, uh, that uh, that was that bore fruit with the, the tragic circumstances there. Motor racing is a dangerous sport. Um, I did some background reading then on the Spa track, and there was a race back in 1960 that killed two drivers over the course of the race weekend. Back then in 1960, the drivers, they had leather helmets, which wasn't anything, but they also did not strap themselves into the car because the drivers believed that it was more dangerous to be strapped in if the car burned. They were all afraid of burning to death. So believe it or not, they didn't have any harnesses or anything, their seatbelts, nothing. They were free and loose in the car. And the average speed back then around the whole racetrack was around, like the average speed that a car was going to do over a nine-kilometre course was something close to 250 kilometres an hour. Uh, anyway, in the 1960 race, I don't remember the name of the driver, but he basically he, he had a crash, got thrown out of his car, and then was decapitated by a barbed wire fence. So you've got a barbed wire fence adjacent to the track. So it was literally still cow pastures back then. Um, and his headless body, a decapitated body, lay in the racetrack for about six laps or something like that with the drivers having to evade his body as they went past him. So Spa's got one hell of a, um, a history to it. And then on Sunday we had the race itself and um, it was a good race. The It was a funny weekend and that's because when Milo and I get together, it's funny. There's no other there's no other way to describe it. We've always at the Monza Grand Prix years ago, I think about ten years ago, I went to that. We had everyone around us on our side, and we had the same thing at the stand there at Eau Rouge. Um, and it was it was it was an amusing weekend. It was a funny weekend. It was all good spirited, um, and we were making fun of the uh, of the television presenters because there's a big screen in front of us and a lot of uh, Max. Uh, Verhaffen, whatever the hell his name is, the Dutch driver fans who were down there, all dressed in orange. And the uh, female commentator kept referring to it as a sea of orange until the point where... And it, we got to the point where wherever, whenever she said a sea of orange, the people, everyone around us would cheer. Uh, and that got everyone else going, and uh, it, was, it was quite funny. Um, and Max crashed on the first lap of the race putting himself out, which was hilarious because all the Dutch fans then were so upset they started to leave. And uh, thank God for that, considering the uh, difficulty getting out of the parking at the end of the day. But he, Max crashed right right in front of us, like literally below us, um, and just came straight to the wall because he lost his steering at the first corner. Um, so it was a good weekend, um, and uh, getting out was hell. Uh, we uh, got back to our car in a paddock and we went extra early on Sunday morning, which meant that we're actually parked in close to the to the beginning because literally it's just all cow paddocks divided up. And the first two days we were on really steep paddocks and it was beautiful weather. It was, in, it was 34 degrees on the Saturday, but we were just looking at the entrances to these paddocks, which was steep grass and just going... If it rains, what happens here? And of course, in Spa, all it does is rain. Well, sure enough, on a Sunday, it rained. Uh, not too much, but it did rain. But we, we got on a flat paddock close to the front. But because we were close to the front, that meant when it, we left, we were at the back. And it took us about two hours to get to the main road, which was probably about, being generous, about a kilometre and a half, maybe a mile, if that. Uh, it was just amazing traffic jam. Um, so we, we got to our car at 5.30 and it was a 40 minute drive to Maastricht and we got to Maastricht three hours later. So, um, that was pretty, uh, that was pretty hell. Next time we'll take the helicopters because they had this helicopter service where you could park, uh, right next to the, the main highway and then helicopter would ferry you right down, uh, to the, to the racetrack. So you wouldn't park next to the racetrack. And we were just watching these helicopters go back and forth. And it's like, oh, how much does that cost? Actually, I never checked that. Uh, spa, let's have a look. <coughs> oh, hang on. Uh, spa Grand Prix Heli. 
helicopter pack, helicopter transfer. Here we go. Um, what do we got? Oh, it's got a five out of five. Ah, um, oh, it doesn't say how much it is. You got to contact them. Um, but uh, we'll definitely look at the helicopter for next year absolutely look at the helicopter for next year just get transferred from close and then go in um, if we go again next year now we are thinking we are thinking the Hungary uh, Hungarian Grand Prix next year we actually uh, bumped into a couple of F1 employees one of them is the woman who it's a hungarian woman who actually presents the trophies for the formula two um races and the other one was uh this guy who runs the paddock club uh and they were basically uh they did they just come out of the paddock to get away from all of the of the i suppose you know just just get around as a real people and we ended up sitting next to them having some food and got chatting and um Anyway, the guy was saying Hungarian Grand Prix is the one to go to. He's just like, man, it's full of hot chicks, full of hot chicks. So um, we might be having a look at that one next year. Maybe I can organise a uh, Adam Pickett Adam Pickett Charter group of all people who uh, love Formula One and follow my blog. I mean, we might have me, uh, but anyway, Milo and I are going to go to that next year. I think that's the uh, that's the plan. Um, and uh, speaking of hot chicks, um, Aaron Clary put up a uh, an article um, called uh, a linear ten, and basically what he's basing it on is is the rating of women's beauty from one to ten, uh, but on a linear sky, scale as opposed to a uh, Gaussian. Uh, scale. I don't know how to pronounce that. I've never, honestly, I'm not going to pretend I never came across the term Gaussian before. I had to look it up. Um, but your Gaussian is basically your bell curve uh, distribution um, of, of, you know, uh, you know, in mathematics, statistics, that sort of thing. Um, whereas, obviously, linear is, is linear. And Clary's argument is that we need to rate women on a linear 10 because there are so few actual 10s in the world that we can't possibly, um, you know, we, we can't possibly include them in the ratings. Uh, now, now I, I disagree with this, uh, and he put his ratings up, and I'll link to this in the show notes, but for his 10s, I emailed him back and I said, out of your 10s, I'd go 7, 7, uh, I'll re. I'd said seven, 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 but the third one going from left to right. But I have to say it's probably an eight. So I'll go seven, seven, eight, and then the one below her six is what I'd rate his tens. Um, and I gave him a bit of shit, and he wrote back and said uh, linear, not Gaussian. Um, and then I had to look that up. Look, the problem with this is that is is twofold. Number one, uh, there are a lot more beautiful women in the world than those photos so you so basically the way that clary is um is objectively rating women means that a lot of women and he says handfuls but he's wrong a lot of women aren't going to be included so you can't have a rating scale that doesn't include hot women i mean what sort of rating scale is that it'd be like getting muslims to rate the best uh pancetta in the world that's not gonna fucking work is it um secondly i think uh and let me let me just quote from it um, the reason i want to go through this exercise was to highlight something i think unco- unconsciously affects men and that is your physical expectations of women is too high um, and his his side is coming from statistical mathematical reality, not pie in the sky hope of what we'd like things to be. If you look at the total population, not just what your eyes focus on, there are simply not enough pretty girls to go around. Um, and then before that, he said, 
Um, I often recommend to my readers and listeners to walk into a Walmart, a gas station, or a grocery store and force themselves to look at everybody in caps. Not just what the eye is attracted to, but everybody. And what usually happens is incredibly depressing. You realize that the largest group of people in the US is ugly people. 40% of both men and women are obese, and that says nothing for the utterly average and common-looking folk who only manage to make up the background of what your eyes are otherwise focusing on the pretty people. Um, look, as one of the pretty people, I, I object to this uh, in hearty terms. Um, ironically, uh, below this on his Clary Test number 57, the big inheritance store episode, he's got a photo of a girl in a bikini that's hotter than anything that he put up for his tens, nines, and eights. And seriously, one of his eights looks like her face has been squashed with a pumpkin. Um, and this is where I want to go back to Maastricht. Uh, because Clary's coming this as from a, a uniquely US, and I would even say Midwestern US experience. And the problem with using the United States as a basis for female objectivity, objectivity, the objectivity rating of attractive females is you don't have any attractive females over there. And I know this after having spent three months in Louisiana this year. Um, the amount of, it was really noticeable to me how few good looking women there were. And... It goes together with uh, obesity, as, as Cappy, Cappy has uh, obviously pointed out already. Uh, making an effort to look good. Like um, Italian women spend 60% of their disposable income on looking good. You spend 60% of your disposable income on looking good, guess what? You're going to look pretty good. Uh, and I've known for 20 years that uh, um, a six in Italy will look like an eight, eight and a half, a nine in the US. Um, and a nine in the US will look like a six in Italy. Reverse it. Um, so you've got, you've got a lot of obesity, you've got women who don't make an effort, and you've got rampant feminism, which makes women ugly on the inside. If you make someone ugly on the inside, they're going to be ugly on the outside, because they walk around with a scowl on their face. They're, they're, they're angry, they're scowling, they're bitter... They're antagonistic. They're looking for a fight. If I can define the, the, the defining characteristic of me for modern American women is they're looking for an argument. They walk around their daily lives looking for an argument. That, that, that's, what that, that's, that's how they came across to me. Obviously in general. There are, of course, exceptions, as, 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 as I did meet over there. Um, I remember seeing a very hot girl at a bar, um, but my days of uh, picking girls up in bars is over. Um, but um, she was she was she was an easy easy nine out of ten. But on Cappy's linear scale, she would have been probably a seventeen, I think. And that's why that's why his scale doesn't work. A ten has to be a ten. Look, if the majority of your women are down in the four or five. That doesn't mean that you change the rating scale. It just means that the numbers have been bumped up. Yes, I know that the bell curve isn't going to work. Your bell curve has shifted. But if, if you look at the Gaussian function um, uh, with expected value and variance, which is something I understand a lot about uh, from my days of playing poker, um, at the, as the way it stands in America now, you'd be looking at a Gaussian curve of, 0.5 you know with with the majority stacked down around around your four or five out of ten um as opposed to a standard bell curve with you know you know like you see on an iq bell curve or something like that so female beauty in america has been uh objectively trashed by those three reasons and there's a fourth and that's um the, the mass level of immigration um of unattractive races that you've got that have come into America as well. And that's happened in Australia too. Um, the reason you don't get, you know, um, Muslim beauty pageant contestants is not just because they're wrapped up in a sackcloth. Uh, it's, it's also because they're not that hot. Um, 
So now I want to. I want to. It was interesting that this article of Cappy's came out this week after I'd spent the weekend in Maastricht, because uh, Milo and I spent Friday, Saturday, Sunday night in Maastricht, uh, and on Friday and Sunday night we ate out outside on a, a terrace restaurant around a little piazza uh, with lovely old oak trees um, and a lovely piazza. Um, Saturday night was, it was it was inside of a French restaurant, but that was uh, illustrative too. And I'll get to um, I'll get to both. I'll do I'll do I'll examine both things. But but the the ratio of hot women in Maastricht that we observed was the inverse proportion of what I saw in the United States. So I would say objectively that over eighty percent of the women that we saw from ages 16 to 65 were, uh, for their age groups, eight or above. Easy. And when I'm saying eight or above, I'm talking a true eight or above. I'm not talking some pie-in-the-sky, cappy, linear scale. I'm talking about seriously good-looking women. I think we saw two fatties because we. it was so... The women were so hot uh, and attractive and happy and thin and well-dressed um, and glowing with health and vitality and positive energy that um, Milo was quite stunned at it. And we, we spent the weekend having a bit of a objective observation of of the hotness sitting outside um, of course the the women are and Maastricht is a university town um, but like I said um, women that we saw in the 30 40 50 even 60 age group very good looking for their age groups um, dressing beautifully slim um, I, I just I, even I was stunned. it's probably Maastricht probably got the best looking women in Holland by a very long way and I live in Leiden which is a university town but Maastricht Holy crap! It's also a Catholic town, whereas whereas Leiden's a Protestant town, and Protestants get more uptight. So the way it works in Holland is the further north you go, the more uptight they get, get in a cultural way. So Maastricht, being right at the south, the most southern point of Holland, is very, very, very Catholic and very laid back. So the old Italian style of enjoy life. It's on the border too. You're mixing with the Belgians. By the way, Belgian Grand Prix, hot women. The, the women who were working as in, in the staff there, my God, I saw some babes. I'm talking like, I mean, there was, a, there was a policewoman that Milo and I were just gobsmacked at. She was a, she was a true 10. Uh, no, <laughs> she was a 9.5 because she, wasn't, she didn't have the 5 foot 11. She was only about 5 foot 7. But Jesus, you put another couple more inches on that girl. Holy crap, did we see some good looking women at the Spa Grand Prix. Um, and that's that mix there down there, I think, of Belgium, uh, France, uh, Luxembourg, Germany, and Holland. If you go in that Maastricht corner, all of that's coming together. And I don't know, must do something for the genes. But, geez, the women in Maastricht. Holy crap. And then on the Saturday night, like I said, we went to this uh, French restaurant. There was a table next to us um, that was probably about 30 people. It was a big family table. Uh, and and every single woman there was drop dead gorgeous. There was a girl. Uh, I think she was. I hope she was eighteen. I hope she was eighteen. But uh, literally, we lost the ability of speech uh, whenever she got up to go to the bathroom, and she kept walking past us. I think she went three or four times, and well aware of her beauty. My lord, my lord, um, blonde. Blue-eyed, voluptuous goddess is the only thing I can describe her. I only saw one female in three months in uh, the United States that would match what I saw in Maastricht in the three days that I was there. Um, and it's not even close. It's not even close. Seriously, 80% plus of the women were eights and above. And I'm, I'm talking, I'm talking, I, 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 I hate to say it, but it was even higher than that. It was higher than eight. 
no, probably 8.5. They were really hot, and, and I know hot women. Um, stunning, stunning, stunning. The only reason I'm saying this is I only get about 500 listens on my podcast every episode, so I know that I'm not ruining a good thing by getting this out there. Um, but boys, if you want to take a holiday to Europe, I'd just take it. I'd just take a flight down to Maastricht and um, and hang out there. Make sure you're there when university is in. Because I think university just started again, beginning of September. Tell you what, great weekend, Spa Grand Prix and stay in Maastricht and then just babe watch the whole time. You won't be disappointed. I mean, and, and Milo and I... Uh, you, could uh, you say babe watch? Obviously, you're thinking, well, what about babe, babe close out action? Yeah, you definitely could have done it. We we it was a boys' weekend, and we went uh, and Milo's Milo's married, and uh, there wasn't any question about that. It was it was never going to be we're going to try and hit on girls or anything like that. Um, but oh yeah, you could you could definitely do very 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 well for yourself, um, uh, especially if you're if you're if you're a guy, let's say from say early 30s to early 40s, that 10 year bracket there, 32 to 40, 42, depending on how you're looking, if you're keeping yourself in shape, do very well, very, 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 very well. I can't, I can't recommend Maastricht enough. So when I, when I, when I then spend three days down there in that environment, and then I read that article from Aaron Clary, look, I mean, it's un, it's unfortunate in the United States. And Australia's the same way. Uh, look, Anglo-Saxon women, look. American, Australian, New Zealand, Canada. The women are just... England. The women are just... Uh, United Kingdom. The women are just... Uh, oh, I'll leave Ireland out of that one. They're not infected yet. Uh, but the women are just ugly because they're ugly on the inside, which means that affects every part of them. So that, that means they make no effort. So they, they, don't, they don't spend any money themselves to look good. Or if they, I mean, you don't see women. There was no one, no woman we saw in Maastricht uh, for three nights, Friday, Saturday, Sunday night. Incredibly busy. We're in the busiest part of the town. Women everywhere. We never saw a single chick with, with hair dyed a ridiculous colour. There were no blue, red, green hair, purple haired trollops walking around. There was, there was none of that. None. Absolutely none. Piercings through the nose or, you know, all, all these facial bloody, none of that. Didn't see, didn't see a single one. These were all, these were all, the types of girls you take home to mum, sort of thing. Um, so, Anglo-Saxon women though have been infected by this mind virus, so they're they're ugly on the inside. So that then manifests itself on the outside as well, um, and they make no effort uh, in their appearance, which means they become fat as well. Um, if they do go to the gym, you can count on them. You can count on them halting it as soon as they think they've laid, you know, locked down their beta male. Put the wet, they put the weight on like bastards. And that's why I wanted to make a point of saying that the women in the 30, 40, 50, 60 year old age group down in Maastricht are in great shape. Great, great shape. Very good shape, which means that. They're not, they're not infected by the mind virus. They're, they're not infected by the mind virus at all. So, look, I, I understand what, where Cappy's coming from um, and saying there's no pretty girls around. And it's true in um, Anglo-Saxon countries at the moment. It's absolutely true. I'm... I'm I'm with uh, I'm with Cappy on that, but that's not the entire world, and so all I'll say is you need to you need to get out there a little bit. You need to get out there. Um, I would I would never date an Anglo-Saxon woman again, um, no matter how good looking she is, just because of their propensity to go insane. Anglo-Saxon women have the highest propensity now in modern women to go insane. For me, that's, that's, that's just a simple statement of truth. Um, I've seen it time and time again. You look at the photos that Cappy's put down here, well, all his ones, his twos, his threes, his 
I can't tell the, the fives. Okay, so you got three and fours together. The fives, it's just a, a shot of women's cellulite. The sixes and sevens, they all look insane, absolutely insane. The eights and nines that he's got, oh, that girl on the left is not an eight or a nine dude. She's got a face like a squash plum. Um, they look insane. Um, and he, um, he, actually, Cappy says this. Uh, women who are eight and nines today are simply in shape, look like women and present themselves though. But there is a horrific epidemic of permanent resting bitch face today that prevents many from being the top 10%. Uh, and yeah, he's got three great example of permanent resting bitch face. And that was what I mean by that. They're, they're always, I think that's a better way of saying that what I was saying before, that they're always looking for an argument. Um, permanent resting bitch face is a characteristic of Anglo-Saxon women now. That's what, uh, that, that's what it is. Um, mainland Europe, like I said, obviously I've spent 10 years, over 10 years in Italy um, and now I've been in Holland for two years and I've traveled quite a lot throughout Europe. Um, so Italy, the Netherlands, I spent time, Austria, um, I spent time there, Croatia, um, Slovakia, um, Czech Republic, I've spent time there. I mean, these, the women are all, the women, the women, the, 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 If I look back when I grew up in Australia in the 1980s, like women were good looking back then, but even the women now in Europe are, are, are way in front of, of, what, of what the women back then that I went to, to school with and when I you know, graduated and, and in my 20s, what, what they are. They're just, um, the European women are far, 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 far in front. Um, of course, I've been mightily fucked over by a European woman, but that's not, that's not the question here. The discussion is not, um, you know, are they going to fuck you over? The discussion is physical beauty. Um, I personally think, I'm just thinking about it now, I wonder if the six years in Australia infected my ex-wife so she caught the mind virus. Um, the attitudes, I do know that she got annoyed with my anti-feminist attitudes towards the end of our marriage, whereas at the beginning of our marriage, when I had the exactly the same attitudes, it was not a problem at all. In fact, she was definitely on my side. I wonder, I wonder if the six years that we had in Australia um, contributed in the sense that she caught the Anglo-Saxon feminist mind virus. I... I would not be surprised if that was the case. I've I've got no real way of measuring that, of going back and finding out. Um, but my wife at the end did. Um, um, my wife at the end did catch what we would call a permanent resting bitch face um, towards the end. Absolutely. So. Yeah, I mean, it's the, it's the Anglo-Saxon disease. It's the Anglo-Saxon female disease. That's what Clary's talking about in his, in his article. He's talking about the Anglo-Saxon female disease, the Anglo-Saxon female mind virus. And I'll write that down because that's probably, that's probably going to be the uh, Anglo-Saxon female mind virus. There we go. Um... We'll have that as the title for the podcast. Um, that's what that's what Cappy's referring to. That's what he's that's what he's going on about. And okay, so then, all right, all right, all right. So you're you're sitting here and you're listening to this, going, okay, fine, Adam, I agree with you. I agree with you on this. But then, what's the answer? Because I live in um, Bumfuck, Ohio, or something like that. Um, okay, the answer is not to go overseas to Europe, find a girl, bring her back to the US or Australia or wherever. The answer is not that because 
they, the women you bring back, will be infected by the Anglo-Saxon feminist mind virus that is uh, overwhelmingly uh, in control of those countries. Um, and don't forget my next book, which I am in the process of writing, which is called a uh, How to Be a Man in a Feminized World. I might have to change the, 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 the title somewhat to reflect Anglo-Saxon because it is Anglo-Saxon countries that have been affected by this. I'm not sure about South Africa. I think the white population in South Africa is just so so focused on survival with, uh, with what they've got themselves into, what the world pushed themselves into in the last 60 or 70 years there that... Uh, I think that the, the South African women might be a bit stronger in this case and not and not have the feminist mind virus anywhere near as the UK, Australia, the US, New Zealand or um, Canada. But it's not the answer if you live in bumfuck Ohio to go to Hungary, find a beautiful girl and bring her back because it's just not going to work. Um, it doesn't. I don't think it works either to go to Hungary. I'm just using that as one example. You can say you can say a bunch of countries here um, to be with a girl at all. Um, I think in this situation, what does work is that you move to one of these countries and you set yourself up. Because remember, you have to make your mission your priority. You can't make your woman your priority. If you move to, let's say, you go to Hungary and then you meet a beautiful girl and she's everything you've ever wanted and then you move to Hungary because of her you've just made her your mission and that doesn't work with women you can't you can't make her the center of your universe it doesn't work um, so what I think what is what I think you need to do is I think you need to move to a, uh, a European country preferably one like Hungary or Slovakia or the Czech Republic um, Croatia somewhere like that um and set your own life up and then get the chick i think that's what you have to do i knew quite a few i'd heard of quite a few aussie guys in the early 2000s who moved to poland uh, married polish girls and then five to ten years later all the marriages imploding it was kind of a joke how many how many guys it happened with. And that's because they made the woman their mission. It was all based around them. I mean, when I was in Italy, I had an, my only serious Italian girlfriend, we were together for three years. I'd already been in Italy for two years when I met her and I didn't really require, I'd already set myself up. I had, I, I, had, I was doing what I was doing and I didn't require her assistance for my survival there. I, I had it, I had it, I had it 80% worked out. Did she help with some stuff? Yeah, but I made sure that I I, uh, I quickly found it out myself after she showed me or I learned it and then I did it all myself. A big part of that, a big part of that was learning the language. A big part of that. Uh, you cannot set yourself up in a foreign country if you don't learn the language. If if you don't learn the language, you'll be, and you end up with a, with, a, with a local girl, you'll be dependent on that local girl for everything. Absolutely everything. And so, uh, just give you one example. You want to, as a man, you want to be in control of the finances, as in you want to be bringing the majority of the finances, because it doesn't work if she earns more money than you. Trust me on that one. And also because as a man, you need to be in charge of the finances as regards because you know, you need to be in control. Women want a strong man, they want a man who stands up to the outside world and protects her. If you're dependent on her for basic stuff, because you don't speak the language, well, that's the opposite of what what you need to do. So you need to move, you need to pick a country, you need to move there, you need to learn the language. You need to set yourself up in a business or something like that. I think opening your own business is the best way to go. And then at that point, you can you can have spin plates if you want. But then at that point, once you're set up, then you look for the for the proper relationship. I, I think that's the best way to go. Think of it as Aaron Clary's reconnaissance man, but on a European scale. I honestly think. Now, um, I... I'm fully aware right now, or when people are listening to this at this point, they're all going, dude, that's not going to work. If everyone do, did that, then it would... And you're right. 
but 500 people will listen to this episode. Really, what I'm telling you now is the culmination of 25 years of experience living all around the world, working all around the world, sleeping with lots of girls all around the world, but only white girls, only ever slept with white girls. Um, my notch count is pretty high. It's pretty high. And based on Aaron Clary's linear ones, they were all 12s minimum. And that's not a humble brag. It's just fucking the way it was as a rafting guide. Um, marrying a European, making the mistake of taking her back to Australia, coming back to Europe then, being dependent on her. This, this is not how it's done. I'm giving you the beneficial wisdom of my hard-won years of experience here. If you're a young guy and you've got some skills and you reckon you can set up a business, well, the world's your oyster. I'd do hungry. Every, everyone, I, I've never been there, but I hear so much good stuff about hungry politically and also the girls. Now, I know that Matt Forney went there and he didn't like it for some for various reasons. For me, they weren't really clear. Um, but based on what I've heard, I'd do that. Uh, Croatia could also be a really good one. Beautiful country. Um, the coastline there around Dubrovnik is just absolutely stunning. Um, do your own reconnaissance. Do your European reconnaissance. Come out and have a look. This is what I do. Anglo-Saxon women, as, as, as they are now, are unsalvageable. They are unsalvageable. They are ugly on the inside, which means that manifests on the outside. Uh, they will take you for everything they can get and then more. They will impoverish you financially and emotionally. They'll fuck you up. It's not, it's not worth the hassle. I, I completely agree with what everyone else is saying, but European women, mainland European women, I'm not counting the UK here because it's obviously Anglo-Saxon, um... Sweden stay very far away from the Baltic states. Sorry, from the 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 the, the what do they call them? The, Sweden, Norway, stay away from those. Uh, Denmark, yes. Uh, Finland, yes. Uh, Finland actually underline in the sand, yes. Um, Latvia, Estonia, these places, absolutely. I would look into setting up businesses there. Um, they have a real need for businesses to go in there. I don't know what the local laws are. Um, Hungary, absolutely. Czech Republic, Slovakia, uh, Poland, not so sure about. Um, Polish people rub me up the wrong way, though. That's a personal, that's a personal thing. Um, I know that uh, Forney's in Georgia, um, and I haven't... I haven't really done an update on... I haven't been in contact with Matt for a while, actually. Uh, what's, he, what's he doing now? Let's have a quick look. Um, what's, he, what's he doing now? Let's do a quick quick look on Matty. Um, I, I took his, uh, his site off my blog roll because he just wasn't putting up any... Um, content um, I, I don't know I don't know what he's doing I can't tell from this no I can't tell I can't tell what he's doing um, but but yeah that's look Clary's right Clary's right in his one to ten rating scale for Anglo-Saxon women. You can take Clary's rating scale and put it in any Anglo-Saxon country. Um, he's correct in that for the most part. Australian women tend to be better looking, but I say that, but in the six years I was in Australia, I didn't meet many women I'd fuck. I remember thinking that. I remember thinking, God, I'm so happy I'm married, happily married. Joke was on me as it turned out. 
Um, so Claire is right as regards to Anglo-Saxon countries. He's not right as regards to mainland Europe. It's, it's, it's another world. The Netherlands. Um, look, Maastricht and that Catholic um, uh, openness down there. I think Breda as well. Uh, Den Bosch. The southern part of the Hollands, I'd say yes. The northern part of the Hollands and the Green Heart, I'd say no. I'd say no on that one. Um, it's just too Protestant. It does make a difference. Um, there is a little bit of feminism mind virus here. It's not nearly as bad, though. I mean, the Dutch invented liberalism, but that means they can handle it. They invented liberalism because they have internal controls so they don't go too crazy. Anglo-Saxons don't have those controls. and They appropriated liberalism and went crazy with it. And that, that craziness is still not over to this day. Um, Germany, um, German women are crazy for sex. Um, and that's always been the case. German women are really, really crazy for sex. Um, but when it comes to relationships, they, they, they go a bit hairy armpit, uh, if you know what I mean. Um, if I was going to go German women, once again, I would go the southern states, Bavaria, uh, Nuremberg, those sort of areas uh, towards the Alps is where I'd go for, for the German ones. Once, once again, the Catholic areas tend to be better. The Catholic areas tend to be a lot better than the Protestant areas. Um, Protestant... Um, the Protestant religion has just really killed. It spent 500 years just killing uh, a lot of countries. Uh, Northern Holland, UK is a great example of that, you know. Um, and uh, I think Protestantism is on its final legs as we speak. It's about to implode and uh, and turn into nothingness. Hopefully, the Catholic Church can revive itself around Catholicism. You might not think this has anything to do with anything because you don't believe in God, but it has everything to do with everything. Uh, and I really see it in Europe amongst the different countries and their attitudes um, to um, life and family and that sort of thing. Um, so uh, that's my answer to Aaron Clary's Linear 10 article. Um I hope it's been of some help to you. Um, if you've got any questions, you want me to expand on it, shoot me a line. I'm not. I'm not doing this for um, for PUAs. I'm not doing this. This is. This is not a. This is. I'm not looking. At this as a PUA thing. I'm looking at this as a, you're a serious young guy who looks at the realities of what he's got in bumfuck Ohio and says, I don't want any a part of this, but I still want to be able to have the ability to have a family and children. And and be able to grow my life, man. I'd hit, I'd hit, I'd hit Europe. I would hit Europe for that. And uh, and I really think the way to go is to come in, uh, setting your own business up. But if you can't do that, then come in in another way. Um, but don't come in in a in a mean. You 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 don't want to be tending bar. Um, you've got to have some sort of skill set that you're going to bring to the country. So even if you get at a trade, look, if you're, if you're listening to this and you're, and you're 21, you're thinking, all right, go get an apprenticeship, get a trade, electrician, carpenter, anything like that. I'll finish this off with a story. I think this is a good one. So Milo, you all know Milo from Pushing Rubber Downhill. He was my comrade in arms. So when I left Uganda, he stayed for another three years until he got run out of the country because his business partner uh, set him up and cheated on him and stole the business. And he realized what was happening and he got out with the clothes on his back, hard drive of his computer and nothing else. Um, he borrowed 5,000 pounds from a relative. He landed in the UK. He was Australian originally, but he, had a, he was a carpenter by trade. He got his trade because the one bit of advice that his dad gave him that was right was don't go get a trade and get that done and then you've always got that to fall back on. So he arrived in the UK, he spent 900 pounds on a van, 
He spent another thousand pounds or so on some tools, and then he put an ad in the paper saying, uh, carpenter, Australian carpenter, all qualifications, all tools, mobile, looking for work, call this number. And he said the next day, his phone started ringing at 5 a.m., and then he was, he was golden. From that point, well, he now owns a multi-million dollar construction company in Monte Carlo. Uh, and this was 2005, I think, that he rocked into, uh, into the UK. So if you're, if you're a young guy and you listen to this, I really, really, really recommend strongly that you go and get a trade. It's one of the big um, regrets that I have that I never went and got a trade. I never, I never went down that road. But that's because I came from an upper middle class family and that was frowned upon. Much better to go get a, a useless degree in puppetry or something than you know a trade if you're upper middle class. Um, so I would get myself a trade. I'd spend three years. I'd look at this long-term planning. And shit, man, if you're 21, 22, even 27, even, even early 30s, go get a fucking trade. Trust me, go get a fucking trade. Spend three years doing that. Welding. All right. From someone who works in, in offshore oil and gas. Skilled, talented welders are gold. Really gold. You have no idea. You have no idea how hard it is to find good welders. That's my little tip for you. Anyway, shout outs. Well, look, I've been shouting out to Aaron Clary the whole uh, episode. I'll link to his article on the Linear 10 uh, in the show notes on my blog. Um, so go check out his site and, um, and give him a support. Check out his books, um, Bachelor Pad Economics. Uh, is, is, is you know most most recognised one, but uh, other ones that I enjoyed were Paul Rich's Retirement, Reconnaissance uh, Man, Curse Our High IQ, loved all those. Uh, Listen to his podcast as well. He's a great supporter of this site. Um, follow me. Um, buy my books: Pushing Rubber Downhill, A Journey to Manhood via Whitewater Adventures, and Run Guts Pull Cones, A Rafting Adventure in the uh, Italian Alps. I had a comment on the blog. This is uh, something like, oh, Adam, you know, I'd love to hear how you made a man of yourself. Where can you write something about that? And it's like, yeah, buy my books, fuckhead. Jesus. Um, uh, uh, one thing I'll, to finish off, one thing I will say is that the, the Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then Monday at the Grand Prix, Monday we got up early. I drove Milo to Bonn, uh, to the airport there, and then drove back to the Netherlands from there. I didn't get back to about 12 o'clock. That was the Monday. And then Tuesday to Friday, I had one hell of a week at work. Um, and when I got back on Monday, I did some shopping and then I slept all afternoon and I got up and I ate something. I went back to bed and I was exhausted all week. Yesterday, Saturday, I was exhausted again. Uh, it's only today that I'm feeling fresh. That, that, that weekend away really knocked me out. Um, definitely getting older. Definitely getting older. Uh, but uh, that was the reason for the pretty piss poor posting this week um culminating in my nothingness article of an angry spider um it was just absolutely brain dead boys absolutely brain dead so uh my apologies for that but that's that's what happens you know getting on i don't have all the uh, energy that you used to this has been another pushing rubber podcast i hope you've enjoyed it uh stay good stay safe and i'll see you next week ciao